If you are anything like us at Thrift Books, you love books. You know, real books, made of ink and printed on paper. With over 13 million used and new books, starting as low as $3.99, Thrift Books has your next great adventure. Affordable textbook or cozy afternoon. Any format, edition, and condition, right at your fingertips. Visit thriftbooks.com slash podcast and find your next favorite book today. For the love of books, Thrift Books. Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile, you're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. Hi, it's Tony Brisky from Real Ghost Stories Online, inviting you to subscribe to our other podcast called The Grave Talks. It's where I sit down and interview individuals who've had extreme paranormal situations happen to them in their lives. Just search The Grave Talks on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Be sure to press subscribe and give us some stars to help spread the word that this show exists. Now, here's a 15-minute preview of The Grave Talks. Today on The Grave Talks, the Morris Jumel Mansion. Of Manhattan in 1765, Roger Morris constructed his summer getaway, what would later be known as the Morris Jumel Mansion. The property would become far more than just a summer hideaway. It would play a key role in multiple battles and conflicts in early American history. George Washington would use the house as a headquarters, and many others would find solace behind its walls, including Vice President Aaron Burr. Could these spirits still roam the haunted Morris Jumel Mansion? Death, innovation, affairs, love, secret, murder, suicide, wars, and unrest are just a fraction of the many emotions that were expelled in this house through its more than 250-year history. Today, the haunted Morris Jumel Mansion is home to multiple spirits. Ghosts who haunt the mansion, likely the same people who once called it home. Today, we talk with paranormal investigator Vincent Carbone about the haunted Morris Jumel Mansion. So the Morris Jumel Mansion, located in Washington Heights, Manhattan, it is the oldest house, the oldest surviving house in the borough of Manhattan, which is pretty crazy to think about, especially because we get people that come here every day that have actually never heard of it. So for such a popular city to have such a historical location um, that they haven't heard of, is pretty fascinating. But nonetheless, this house was built originally in 1765 by a British colonel. His name was Roger Morris. And he was a veteran of the French and Indian War. And he had a house down on Pearl Street uh, in Manhattan. And so he built this house as a summer getaway for him and his family. Now, he's married to a woman named Mary Phillipsy. And her family was very well known all throughout Westchester County um, because they have a lot of tobacco plantations and a lot of wealth of their own. 
so he marries, he actually marries into the wealth, uh, which is not the other way around, which was common back then. Um, she was so popular and so well known and she was a beautiful woman as well, but, um, she would have suitors coming from all over the country to ask her hand in marriage. And one of those gentlemen was, his, was from Virginia and he was known as George Washington. This is before he was a general. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Roger Morris ends up marrying her and they build this as their summer getaway. Um, and right now we're surrounded by buildings on all sides, but at when this was first built, it would be the equivalent of 40 city blocks and river to river. So that gives you an idea of the magnitude of how large this property was and how expansive it was. And from here, it's the second highest point in New York. From here, you could see out to Connecticut, Long Island, New Jersey, which comes into play later on when Washington comes here and uh, takes it over. So basically what happens is Morris, you know, he, he retires from the military, builds his house, he comes here. And then after about 10 years or so, uh, the revolution breaks out and the British want him to go back in the fighting. And he says, no, I've been there done that um i'm not going back to war so he actually goes back to england and washington who he actually fought alongside during the french and indian war knows of the house they weren't friends but they were definitely like they they knew of each other they may have worked together and navigating throughout the french and indian war um but so washington's getting beat up out in brooklyn and long island so he knows that this house is now vacant so what he does is he sends the troops ahead uh, to secure the land. And then Washington comes here and he's here for five weeks. So Washington is living here. He's encamped here um, in the octagon room on the first floor. Uh, he held his court martial hearings um, upstairs on the second floor. We have his bedroom and his war office. Um, and so he's here for, like I said, five weeks. And it's actually while he's staying here, he has a major turning point for him in the war. He ha he has one of his first major victories just south of here at the Battle of Harlem Heights. But what happens is he's almost captured by the British. So he actually retreats and he takes off up to Westchester. So then what happens is the British come come in, they take over the house, and they set up the house, and they uh, implant the uh, Hessians. And if you remember from American history in school, Hessians were the German mercenaries fighting on behalf of the British. Now, side note, why are Germans involved in this war at all? It's because um, Wilhelm von Hest, the commander of the German army, is cousins with King George. So he basically was helping his cousin out by lending his troops. Nonetheless, the, the Hessians are here for a couple of months. And this is where we get our first rumor of what could lead to a potential haunting here at the mansion. Um, it's believed that the Hessian stayed up on the third floor, which is now our attic, one of our two attics, and which is now our offices. Um, but the Hessians would have been staying up there and the officers would have been staying in the larger bedrooms on the second floor. Nonetheless, it's believed that a Hessian soldier was running down from the third floor to the second floor, tripped and falls and lands on his bayonet and bleeds to death on the stairs. So that's where we get our first rumor. Um, so then after a couple of months, the Hessians, they kind of move on. And then this gentleman named Talmadge Hall He's a business owner, and he buys a stagecoach uh, business, a route, from here all the way up to Albany and upstairs.
upstate New York. So what he does is he goes, hey, you know what? While these people are traveling on my stagecoach business, let me buy that vacant Morris house. because, And then he turns it into uh, basically an inn. It becomes a tavern. It's called Talmadge Halls Inn. And he has it for about two years. And in that two years, basically, it's like, hey, while you're traveling, come stay at my place, you know, along the way. Um, because, you know, obviously no subways, there was hardly any roads uh, to really speak of at that time in New York. So which is hard to believe now. But um, so it was a pretty long uh, trip to get up to Albany. Uh, so people would stay here overnight for a day or two. And they would get, you know, have a place to stay. They would have some, something to eat, something to drink. And then they would carry on with their journey. So unfortunately for Talmadge, the business goes belly up after about two years. And so when that happens, it basically goes up for auction and it just sits there for about 15 to 20 years. The house is actually just vacant. Um, Now, what happens in that time is anyone's guess. But for the most part, from what we understand, it's just vacant. Then in 1810, a French wine merchant named Stephen Jamel buys the house. Um, basically for song and dance. And he gets it uh, relatively cheap. He buys it as a wedding present for his wife, Eliza Janelle. Now, this is where we get the second name of the museum. We got Morris for Roger Morris and then Janelle for Stephen Janelle. There was not a gentleman named Morris Jamel. It was two different families that owned the house. So Roger Morris, he's a French wine merchant. He's going back and forth to England you know, uh, on different business dealings. He meets his wife, Eliza. Now, Eliza's from Providence, Rhode Island, and she grows up really, really poor. She moves to New York as a teenager with her sister, and she moves here to pursue a career in theater and in music, and she actually meets Stephen at the theater. Now, the rumor is, and the story goes, is that she was actually the other woman in Stephen's life. He was already engaged to someone else uh, or even married, meets Eliza, and they kind of have they hit it off. And now there's an old urban legend and whether or not this is true, uh, if it's, if it's not, nonetheless, it's, it's great. It's theatrical, but she basically tells Stephen, I'm dying. You know, she tells him that she's dying. And so please to make an honest woman out of me before I pass and go on to heaven. Can you marry me? So he does, he marries her on her deathbed and lo and behold, she pops up out of bed and she's fine all of a sudden. So she got what she wanted, but she was, you know, that's, that's one of many stories that contribute to her very um, bright car- uh, personality, let's just say. But nonetheless, they're married. Uh, they moved here in, 18, in 1810. And despite the fact that she grows up relatively poor, she actually uh, helps Stephen quadruple his worth. She's self-taught in French. She starts collecting artwork from all over the world. Um, and she actually becomes one of the first female landowners in the city, in the state of New York. And so Stephen, you know, he kind of just steps aside and lets her do her thing because he sees that she knows what she's doing somehow and just it's working out. So sure, let her do her thing. And it works out really well for him. What happens is that he passes away in 1832. Now, depending on who you ask, you're going to get two different stories as to how he passed away. One is either he fell on a pitchfork when he was on a, on a hay cart, he fell on a pitchfork, gets carried back to the house, he gets bandaged up, 
And then Eliza dismisses all of the doctors and nurses and says, I'll take care of him. They return in the morning and the bandages have been removed and he's bled to death. That's one story. The other story is that he just died of pneumonia. I'm going to get into later on where that first story came from um, because it's pretty interesting and it's also kind of unfortunate. Uh, nonetheless, he dies in 1832. Uh, roughly a year later, former Vice President Aaron Burr comes knocking and he asks for her hand in marriage. And he actually tries several times and she turns him down. Then she finally one day says, you know what? He's got the name. I've got the money. It's going to be a good benefit for me socially to do this. So they get married. Because remind, because remember, Eliza and Stephen were nouveau riche. They would be invited to the New York elite parties, but no one would talk to them. You know, he was a Frenchman. She was an actor from out of town, so they wanted nothing to do with them. So she was constantly find, trying to find a way to be accepted into New York society. And she figured, you know, why not marry former vice president? Now, at this point in his life, he had done all of his damage politically. He, you know, he um, was already vice president. He already tried to annex part of the country here and, and all that. And he escaped being tried for treason um but so now he's in his 70s she's in her 50s they're together for about eight months and then she starts to realize two things number one a lot of the money that she's developed for herself starts disappearing why because now he's trying to cover his legal debts uh and misspending that he's racked up over his life and number two at the age of in mid seventies or so, he starts keeping time with a 24 year old girl. So Eliza hears about this and does something extremely unheard of at that time. And she files for divorce. Okay. Now there's another urban legend surrounding Eliza. And this whole story is that of all of the attorneys in New York that she could have approached to represent her in the divorce proceedings. One of the first attorneys that she went to was Alexander Hamilton Jr. Why that's important is because anyone who's seen the musical or knows anything about American history and, and all that is that um, Burr kills Hamilton in the duel over in Weehawken, New Jersey. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. It makes for a great story, but nonetheless, they do get a divorce. It takes two years for this divorce to go through. The week it's to be finalized, Burr has a stroke over on Staten Island. And the morning there to appear in court, he passes away. So what happens is she ends up going on as the widow Burr, which is exactly what she wanted to begin with. So she keeps the name, he dies, and she goes on with her life. And she uh, lives out the rest of her life. She doesn't get remarried. She dies in 1865 in the house, in the bed that we still have uh, here in the museum. She dies in 1865. When she passes away, Several members of her family come to stay at the house for, for uh, a time being, um, but her will gets contested because um, when she was still alive, toward the end of her life, she started to lose it a little bit. Uh, what we would now recognize as dementia, um, they didn't really know about that at that time. They just thought she was acting crazy or just being mean for no reason. So what happens is before she passes away, her um, grandson, her adopted grandson, William Chase, comes to her and says, 
grandma. I met this beautiful girl. I love her and I want to marry her. Do I have your approval? What do you think? And she, for whatever reason, turns to the girl and turns to him and says, well, it's either the girl or your inheritance. He chooses the girl. Eliza passes away. And so what happens is he comes to his sister and he says, okay, what do I get? Let's split this up. She's dead. You know, what's, where's my cut? And the sister says, no, you know, you made your choice. You know, you had your opportunity. Now this is the consequences of it. So it goes all the way up to the Supreme court. They, they take each other to the court, goes all the way up to Supreme court. And as an unfortunate side note of this is that in order to pay off the legal debts and also because of natural progression and upward expansion here in Manhattan, um, they have to start selling off pieces of the land to to pay off the attorneys and all the legal debts. Um, they also have to start selling off the artwork, things that if we had now would be multi-million dollar pieces. Um, unfortunately, we don't have them now. So what happens is eventually it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court and it's believed that the grandson is the one who originates the story of Eliza basically assisting in Stephen's death. Because we don't see any evidence of that while she's alive. We don't start to see stories or rumblings about that until after she's already died. And why we know that is because there was no investigation, there was no police report, there was no rumors about it in the newspapers or anything like that. So we believe that, that the grandson, being a scorned relative of his grandmother, came up with the story about killing Stephen. I hope you enjoyed your 15-minute preview of our new podcast, The Grave Talks. Be sure to subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts to not miss any episode of the show. New episodes every single Monday. Just search for The Grave Talks and then press subscribe. Give us a review while you're at it and some stars that will help us grow in the rankings and let other folks know that the show exists to make an even better show for you. The Grave Talks. Check it out at thegravetalks.com. If you are anything like us at Thrift Books, you love books. You know, real books, made of ink and printed on paper. With over 13 million used and new books, starting as low as $3.99, Thrift Books has your next great adventure, affordable textbook, or cozy afternoon. Any format, edition, and condition, right at your fingertips. Visit thriftbooks.com slash podcast and find your next favorite book today. For the love of books, Thrift Books. Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile. You're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. If you are anything like us at Thrift Books, you love books. You know, real books, made of ink and printed on paper. With over 13 million used and new books, starting as low as $3.99, Thrift Books has your next great adventure. Affordable textbook or cozy afternoon. Any format, edition, and condition, right at your fingertips. Visit thriftbooks.com slash podcast and find your next favorite book today. For the love of books, Thrift Books. If you are anything like us at Thrift Books, you love books. You know, real books 
made of ink and printed on paper. With over 13 million used and new books, starting as low as $3.99, Thrift Books has your next great adventure. Affordable textbook or cozy afternoon. Any format, edition, and condition, right at your fingertips. Visit thriftbooks.com slash podcast and find your next favorite book today. For the love of books, Thrift Books.